0: Speaking of Reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg.
1: And this is Diana Dini. Hey, Diana.
0: So what you've been looking at lately or seeing lately, it's... Uh...
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I... I was reminded of something that happened when I was a young engineer and it brought back really fond memories. Um, somebody online had posted a 3D model of a V-block and a V-block is a, a piece of tooling that, that machinists use. And the memory was that when I was a new engineer, um, I worked in a facility that manufactured and designed parts and part of the group was a machinist area where there were journeymen, machine, tool and die designers where the engineers could come up with ideas and then they would work with the, uh, that department to be able to make things, to make things happen, tooling for prototypes or for manufacturing. Well, one of the machinists would take a handful of, especially the new engineers, you know, the ones that graduated from college. And he invited us over to the tech school. So after work, we would all meet at the tech school. And in the tech school, they had a full machinist set where the kids were learning how to do tool and die making in high school, mm-hmm. high school kids. And he was teaching us how to make a block. And it it was very informational. It was a lot of fun. But, but really, I think the real purpose was like, Machinist appreciation class. <laughs> right. So he was teaching the engineers, hey, this is hard, and you have to think about how, you know, the tool comes in or, or what kind of angles you're looking at and the tolerances you're designing with. And he demonstrated that all for us because he had a student hands on approach to tool and i making it. Mm-hmm. I still have my V block, um, it it's not finished. And, um, part of it is really kind of wonky looking, <laughs> but that's a really fond memory that I have. And that got me thinking about, you know, the reliability kind of stuff and but in these kind of situations, you know, I know some of the listeners are, um, do some lunch and learns and that kind of things with their, uh, with the people that they work with. And so that's a, Kind of a question I wanted to ask you. You know, this machinist took saw a need. Uh, you know, wanted the engineers to better understand their how their decisions affected his work, and so he did this tech school thing. And I know other companies do these lunch and learns about reliability, and and I see that as sort of a gap in in new engineers coming out and. Working in a company that has a reliability engineering department, so I wanted to ask ask you about that. If if you're in a reliability engineer in one of these companies that works for uh, the reliability department, and you wanted to have like an outreach kind of thing like that, like a reliability lunch and learn, what kind of topics would you introduce them to, or would you do it by topic, or would you do it like a program? And so I wanted to ask what your take on that
0: Good grief. I think I've done that. Address a couple different, well, the basic idea, how to bring up to speed the newer folks on the team, the ones that are newly assigned reliability folks or right out of school or whatever. There, I've I think I've done all of the techniques. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well good. Well, the, I one, knew you
1: were the right person to ask.
0: At one point or another it was amazing. Um but there's I think there's a uh a, a, I think that uh machinist uh, appreciation class was a different thing that we did when I was at HP and I've helped other companies to get it set up is more well this is what reliability is and isn't and this is what you need to know as an engineer it's the same thing as you know cad programs can create the most god-awful things to ever try to build um and understanding the equipment and the, and the capabilities of the machines that create the device you're trying to do you know and now you're where everybody's trying to learn uh, additive uh, manufacturing kind mm-hmm. of techniques and they it creates new possibilities but it has trade-offs and so it's it's once again it's a balance of well, what can you do? The hard part with reliability is you don't see it until the customer breaks it. <laughs> you know it's it's our so getting designers and and engineers and manufacturing engineers and suppliers up to speed, and there's a handful of techniques there too. The topics would be slightly different, but um the the one thing we did when we were at h p and this is quite a while now for me, is that we had an, an email list, a simple email list. You could sign up and you could unsubscribe yourself, whatever is a mail serve of some sort. I don't remember what it was. And, and every time we taught a class or there was a... a you know, an announcement or stuff like that out there, we always advertise this email list. And then in the email list itself was where we advertised most of the stuff, the most effect. These were people that opted in to be aware of or to learn about reliability stuff and had a place they could ask questions. So we'd get some new engineer working with a new polymer and they would get on the list and saying, you know, I've never worked with this DuPont XYZ blend anybody have experience with this? Which should I watch out for? It would be questions like that. And and it allowed the other, you know, thousand people that are on the list to go, you know, three or four of them would chime in saying, oh, it works great here, but watch out for this. Or what does this thing? And then my role in that, when I managed that list was make sure they got an answer. So it was the greatest way to, kill a community is to post questions and nobody is crickets nobody gets yeah, an answer right so if there weren't three or four immediate responses um i would pro i'd you know uh go find the people that probably knew the answer and get them to answer it and or help them to answer
1: it stuff like that that's interesting you know i never thought about that within a company to kind of promote that kind of learning to have a, an email an email list or I guess today you could use some sort of, um, forum, you know, there's all sorts of yeah, there's I, Microsoft teams and that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. There's, but.
0: I mean, there's, there's all kinds of different tools. It kind of depends on your culture. You, you know, people have got burned out on, on, um, oh, Slack. It just mm-hmm. gets abused, but when it's a specific channel and it was relatively low volume, I mean, if we get a question, um, there was a protection in it, which I think more more modern systems need to fix, is that it's not a reply all kind of thing. Okay. So if somebody asks a really good question and they get 20 answers of it, half their audience would sign off. This is ridiculous. And so part of the role I had was to take, because I would get copied on all of them, and the person that asked the question would get stuff, and they would sometimes go back and forth to have discussions then I would summarize that. And then our weekly or monthly roll up would be, you know, this question and here's online now where you can find the summary of the answer and where the best answer was. And there's, there are online tools and forums and chat vehicles and Slack and all kinds of other stuff, but it's really a balance that if you push it too far and you end up with 35 messages an hour, you're gonna lose the audience if if it's really i get i get a couple messages a week and they're usually interesting questions and yeah maybe i don't know the answer but maybe i know somebody that does i can help because it, the tenet of it was is that if if you help three other people find answers then when you have a question you'll probably get three answers you know kind of thing it goes mm-hmm. around comes around kind of thing but that was by far the most useful for all kinds of reasons, but it was really a balancing act of managing the traffic and helping people actually get answers. So it was, and I don't know how that would have changed because we didn't have Google searches and all the other stuff at the time. I'm quite sure a lot of those kinds of questions got moved off to just online searching. The benefit of doing it inside a company is that you don't have to worry about proprietary Content. That's what I was.
1: Yep, I was going to comment on that. Yeah. yeah, because you would have your own internal reports, you have your own kind of products that you're using these things for that might be similar. So there would be a lot of benefits for an in-company thing, especially for a large company like yeah.
0: that. And especially if you're spread out all over the world kind of thing, which we were. But even a small company, um the other thing we did is we had a monthly webinar program. Um And one of the things you can do with a lunch and learn, even if it's a small team and you're just, say, a more experienced engineer guiding the new team on board, is have a sequence of of, um, guests. You know, have the person that does your failure analysis for you saying, here's the tip stuff we typically see, and here's the interesting pictures, and here's how you use our lab. And then the next one would be a finance person. That has been supportive of the reliability work we're doing and goes, well, these are the kinds of studies we can do. Here's the cost benefit stuff we can do. Here's how we can help you, you know, approach the people on your program that have the budgets. And here's, you know, it was kind of a awareness of all these different departments across the the company that most of the groups that we have is how do you interface with them? What can they do for you? How can they help you? What information do they need from you? Like the finance guy was like, I need to know what the warranty accrual is going to be. And if I don't hear from you, I'm going to make it up. And I'm usually wrong. So come on, give me some stuff here. With your team, sort out this, this, and this, and then I can deal with that kind of thing. So it was... the most attended ones by far, most ones that were most of interest was the failure analysis guys. And I think it's only because they had really cool pictures of things breaking. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, If it's a, you know, an onboarding type thing, we we, run into a couple of companies where we, we basically recorded it and then had, um, it was to help the subject matter expert not have to repeat themselves every six months. And, but be available to answer questions and do some live chat with them kind of, this is how we approach building a plan. Here's our test facilities and labs and capabilities. If you don't see what you need there, then we can contract with these other labs that we have blanket contracts with. It was kind of showing the ropes, but in a formalized step-by-step method. The part that often got missed in that kind of approach was, well, how do I approach this personality over here on this program, or how do I is kind of the the you didn't want to write it down type advice wow. <laughs> I guess is the right word for it, yeah. Yeah, she can be really tough. She's really demanding, really wants to watch every penny. She's really cost conscious on her programs. Well, this, you know, if you rephrase, I want to do HALT as a way to save her money because you don't have to re- redesign stuff late in the program, you'll probably get more traction with that. But it was so situational. So there's yeah. there's a combination of being aware of what's available and how things get done around here and what to think about and when and why to use Reliasoft if that's the package you're using and you know, all those kinds of things. It's also kind of a mentor type approach to, well, how do I approach this particular issue or problem? And a combination of those th- two things seem to work out pretty well, bring up new people.
1: So I imagine that the webinars would introduce people, you know, your subject matter experts or um, people that do particular things within within the workplace, mm-hmm. and then they would become those mentors that people would go and ask questions. They could be too. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah,
0: a combination of those things. Um, it was it was really a focus on there's a combination of, there's two problems. One is. I don't know what resources are here and how and why I would interact with them. And so, so instead of waiting for somebody to randomly figure out, Oh, I need to go talk to the supply chain folks um, is make that awareness right up front. And then the other part of it was, is the backstop them with, and we didn't have a formal mentor program. So it was more like what you described, Diana. It was, it was, they were aware of all these other people and they were willing to answer questions for you. And then we had the third part was the email list, which was a pretty broad, uh, you didn't know who was gonna answer. And most people didn't know everybody else on the list. I don't think anybody knew all the people on the list, but it was a safe place to go ask questions and get multiple points of views pretty quickly. And that was, that was, I think, by far the most valuable thing we had.
1: Well, now, did you find when you were running these kind of programs, well, it sounds like you were heavily involved in managing them. Mm -hmm. um, Did you find that, you know, at the start, especially with things like Lunch and Learns or webinars, there was a lot of excitement and buzz about it at first. And you kind of go through a couple iterations of the of the webinars. I don't know. Maybe it would take six seven eight months worth you know where it's kind of fresh and then you know it would be a year or so and you'd ask the finance guy again hey you know you did that webinar for us you know like a year and a half ago should you do another one like why i already did it um (laughs) did you find find it got old or or how did you inject new energy into it
0: well, it wasn't always the same 12 people if I did a monthly program. It was, you know, it was probably, I had, um, there was somebody that was, um, the lead for a program that if you called the CEO, if a customer calls the CEO to complain about anything, uh, or whatever reason, they had a whole program of retired executives that would come back and answer those questions and help them find answers, because, uh, HB was getting, you know, everything from how do I make my inkjet printer print thing work? And they didn't want to go through the phone tree again on the helpline, helpline. So they'd call the CEO. <laughs> you can track these numbers down and go call them. And, and. I've
1: never heard of that.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, there's all, and, and they had a whole staff just to, <laughs> to deal with people that were upset enough that they would just call the boss. And and across, and and they got thousands of calls a month, and they would, and they were very familiar with the company and business processes, and they had a lot of contacts in the company, and they could say, "Oh, okay, I know what to do. This, let me call, you know, Jill over here in this company, and get you in touch with that, and we'll get it solved for you." It was that was was these
1: past executives that could do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so the person that ran that. She came on every year just to talk about the trend she was seeing. And this is new kind of thing. And I, we noticed this product went out and it was really bad because we got calls on day one. <laughs> you know, We usually keep track of what's going out um, just to be, you know, aware of what's available in the market. But then this kind of caught us by surprise. We didn't think it would be an issue and it was oh, definitely an issue. So we kind of backtracked a bunch on that, but the, she would, kind of summarized the last year's worth of trends in types of information, most common questions, the the root causes of a lot of the stuff that they were hearing about and stuff. So it was a, a view from the customers that we wouldn't normally ever get access to. And so it was, that one was well attended by design engineers and development engineers and reliability folk across the corporation. She was also a really good speaker. Um, That helps. Yeah. The failure analysis one by Ralph, it it was also every year, it was, these are the things we're seeing. It looks like we solved this, this, and this problem, you know, from the last couple of years, but now we're seeing this, this, and this. And these are things to be aware of. This is how, it was a combination of, this is how these things can fail. So if you put a thumbprint on a circuit board, this is what it looks like after three months. (laughs) There's a big white corroded looking thing and mm-hmm. he goes so don't do that <laughs> you know kind of thing <laughs> um and other types of issues that were you know just manufacturing problems or vendor problems or or design problems or a combination of them all but it would it was very much a summary of you know we we did you know 600 failure analysis cases and we did this many of this and this many of that and this is what we're seeing and that was always interesting
1: so that, that was the informational webinar, you know, this is, this is what we do and this is what we're seeing. Well, they would know? include that in that
0: they would, you know, so the finance person, they would come on and it was given the current climate of the economy, you know, we're, we're seeing decreases in consumer products. We're doing this, we're having this competition here, money's tight, interest rates are up. This is what it means is that we can't get as much money or our money's plentiful or we're, investing in a new facility, you know, they had insights well beyond this is what I can do for you, but it was a mix of, you know, this is what a cost benefit analysis works like when it, that we do for the execs and for the project managers, this is what they expect to see. And this is how you can use that approach to do what you're doing. So it's a little bit of informative, but it was also, here's the trends, because the market conditions and the economy was changing all the time. And so they always had another update for it. So it was kind of filling in in the blanks that you would get off of the, you know, the group meeting from the CEO saying, Hey, uh, we're facing the headwinds and this, you know, like the, uh, what do they call it? The, the market phone calls where the general CEOs and senior management talk to the investors, but, kind okay, of, yeah. like in code. Right. And somebody could ask, well, what do you mean by headwinds? And it's like, well, <laughs> when the interest rates double, <laughs> we can't borrow as much money because we're paying too much money for it, you know, kind of thing. And the, that changes the equation and it goes off this way. So it was kind of, awareness of what they do, but also a a view from their seat of what's going on and how it affects even the stuff that we did, which was illuminating to say the least, because it's stuff that most of us in the engineering world never paid much attention to, but it affected how we could get proposals done. And if we were looking to buy some capital, you know. If they're cutting back on capital and consultants, well, it's not a good time to go ask for consultants and capital. So there was some of those, but then on intermixed with all of that, probably eight of the, the presentations we did, or the the weekly or monthly ones, the thing that got us got teams, especially if they're in person, the most excited if there was pizza. So we often called it a brown bag, but there almost always was pizza to fill the room. <laughs> <laughs> Engineers will work for food.
1: So, well, so a funny, funny aside for that, um, I would facilitate a lot of meetings. Um, and sometimes I would use food as a bribe, too, yep. Yep. <laughs> to, to do the working meeting. And it was April Fool's Day. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I went to Dunkin' Donuts. And I got, I got the dozen donuts, but I asked for an empty box, too. And then I went to the grocery store, and I picked up a vegetable tray. Yeah. And <laughs> before everybody got there, I dumped all the vegetables and everything into the donut box and had the donut box sitting on the table. There you go. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, you follow up with the real thing. Right? Uh, you know I still have the real donuts. Yeah. yeah but, literally. you know, at the end of the day, they, they all ate the vegetables. Yeah. And they, they let the donuts just sit there. That's right. So next they,
0: time you get to do the tray. Yeah,
1: they, they weren't they were disappointed. It would have been a worse disappointment if I had put donuts in a vegetable tray.
0: Oh, especially if they look like carrots and celery. You know? <laughs> yeah,
1: that's a little too much work. That's a lot of work, yeah. yeah. But the,
0: um, the intermix with all of the other stuff is the lunch and learn idea. If it's within your own team, a good technique there is to say, all right, what are you working on? What problems do you have? And let's brainstorm. And and it's sort of like a um, a mastermind group. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I got a question and I, you know, I, what are your ideas and how do we go forward with this? And then it's a mixture of what's available, what worked in the past, uh, different ways to approach it. What do you think? And then you'd walk away with some ideas or suggestions and so on. But the lunch and learn would often be all right, um, Tim. Why don't you go? Uh, you're you're doing a bunch of accelerated testing. Why don't you walk us through how you plan an accelerated test? What's the thought process of doing that? Because all of us are not experts at that. And another one would look at you know Weibull analysis and how do you know if you got a good fit or not? Because they have the degree in statistics. And so let's have them do regression analysis. And another one did DOE. Another one, you know, it was kind of sharing each other's expertise. And then part of the lunch and learn was bring your questions. Mm-hmm. It, and it, and then trick is to make it a safe place. It's not judgmental. If you ask this question, it's it, we're not going to make funny or you or, you know, you know, what are you asking that question for? Kind of thing. It was, it's a legitimate place to ask questions that you need some input on. And once you, the, tri- the the thing we finally did was we got rid of the manager. We said, all right, you you're not invited anymore.
1: The managers? <laughs> yeah. You cut them out? We
0: cut them out because they just got in the way. And they were taking notes and who knew what and didn't know what and everything. And I'm like, no, um, you're out of here. And they were always, the one in particular was, well, I know the answer to that. Just do this. And the rest of us were looking at them like, no, <laughs> it's not the right way to do that. And so we, all right, you're not invited anymore. We moved the room and didn't tell them. And he never followed up. Did you leave some
1: pizza behind for him
0: though? A little trail of crumbs, (laughs) you know, stuff like, but it was, um, so within a team is depending on your management team, whether you want them in in the room or not, because if they walk in, everybody doesn't ask any questions. It's not safe to ask questions. You just don't do that. And they're not invited. We go somewhere else. Um, but that allowed us to learn from each other and share our expertise with each other. And sometimes we would plan ahead. We, we want to learn more about DOE. So somebody would either go figure it out or would was already pretty good at it, had the background in it. And a lot of times people were pulling out slides or materials or content from a course they attended or a conference they were at or stuff like that. And so we were constantly sharing expertise, but also our knowledge of approaching problems. When you do that, with a larger group like with the development team or the manufacturing team or even with suppliers it it the it's harder to create that environment where everybody can ask questions and so on and like with suppliers you're already at um hey this is what we're looking for we want you to do uh control charting and we're going to teach you how to do it and let's do some workshops on it and and help you learn how to do this and I remember the first one we did. The supplier said, "If we, if you teach us how to do that, can we use this technique with all of our customers?" I was, Certainly. And He says, "Why would you teach us this? That makes us better." And I looked at him and said, "You just answered the question." Yeah,
1: that's that's a sad question. <laughs> yeah,
0: they were very. They thought it was always adversarial. Everything was trade secret, and they would have to pay for this and all that. I'm like, look we want better products. You guys are pretty darn close to it. We're gonna take you over the next step to improve your process and let's, let's get on with it. And some of those people never got it. And then you know, we moved on to other suppliers. Um, but within the company, uh, the awareness of what reliability people do and don't do and what is expected of them in, when they develop a product or a process um, as it impacts reliability, that was always well received. Um, and we, that was part of the webinar program we did, but also we do it in, in live stuff. We did courses, we did, geez, all kinds of stuff. We even set up study guides. Here's the books and articles and stuff you need to do.
1: So you, you had a, like a holistic overarching, (laughs) um, uh, goal that, that that you were reaching for, and then you used all these different mediums to just try to try to reach your goal
0: yeah, and they were in different circumstances, and some of these examples are from different companies that you know I was consulting with to bring it on, but most of that I learned at hB uh, and did at h b and everything from inside the company university type uh, approach where there's courses and, and curriculum for different positions and stuff like that, um, to, you know, ad hoc training that a particular group wanted us to do to the webinars and email lists. And, um, it was, there weren't that many reliability people in the company uh, that had that in the title yet the theory was, is that everybody had an effect on the reliable, Reliability and quality of the products we created, mm-hmm. so they needed to know the difference between a Pareto diagram and a, and a log normal distribution, and and sort it out and have awareness of it, so they knew that these tools and activities were available. So there was a lot of just awareness kind of thing, and it was uh, a mixture of techniques because people approached it in different ways or received that content in different ways. You know, just putting up a website. It's just not going to cut it. <laughs> no, it
1: has to be interactive. <laughs> yeah. And, well, you know my uh, the 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 tool and die maker that taught taught me how to make a V block. You know, I know he he had us meet after work um, off site at a different training facility, mm-hmm. and there were probably many reasons to do that. Uh, maybe some safety, and then plus we're away from everybody's special tool I mean it's their tools mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. whereas if you're in a student setting but but that did um, that did kind of remove us from the everyday and we were focused on that thing for a specific period of time and and it sounds like in your case at HP with all these outreach methods that you made sure that you made the space for people to want to come and learn and ask questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you made sure that, you know, it was over how, you know, how it was available and how long it was available and everything. So just, I guess, giving people a sense of, of that availability would be helpful too. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it ranges everything from here, here's a checklist, go read that to full on, you know, meet weekly with your mentor and everything in between. Um, so it's. The education process is not restricted to a classroom and you got 45 minutes with this instructor three times a week. That's pretty constrained overall. Mm -hmm. So think outside of how meet people where they are and the time piece they have, the safety requirements they have, safety in the sense that it's okay for them to ask questions. It kind of thing or, or, or explore ideas or, you know, stuff like that. That's what I mean by safety. Yours example was, yeah. If you're going to do some welding, make sure you have welding goggles on. <laughs> kind yeah. Of thing. Tur-
1: turn it on, hold it wrong, lose a finger. That's right. Yeah.
0: Um, but it's, uh, there's something to be said for um, starting something like that. And it, I've seen people that they just send out a weekly, you know, a short paragraph that's on a topic. And if you want to learn more, click here, and there'd be more stuff available. And it was basically set up as a steady drumbeat that reliability is part of your job, and you need to be aware of uh, this is decisions you're making and how it impacts stuff. And if you need help, we're right here. And so the, one of them was like a quote list, and another one was a quote plus a just a short paragraph about, you know, Regression analysis and viable analysis are similar, but interpreting them might be very different or something you would do something I think you really wanted to be a marketing person, <laughs> so you have <laughs> these little teasers kind of things out there
1: but i I like that how you're kind of wrapping up I, this episode it, It's just the steady drumbeat meet people where they are, make it a safe space, and be consistent, have that steady. Drumbeat that the reliability folks are a part of the organization, um, and they're here to work with you and to work with.
0: Yep. And there's a whole bunch of other folks that you need to be aware of and work with on reliability type stuff. So it's it it was fun, but good good summary. So. If you're thinking about or doing some kind of lunch and learn, or you've got some program where you're providing some training or awareness for your group, uh, internal or external, your organization, how's it going? What works for you? What's not working for you? Um, how's the ability for quick searches online helping or hurting you? You know, Because there's lots of bad information out there, too. Uh, let us know. Head over to com slash go slash S-O-R. And you can find a couple of ways to get in touch with us. Diana and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn or our About pages. So please do get in touch. Let us know what's working for you if you or if you've got any questions. We try to make it a safe space so you can ask questions. <laughs> Leave it with that. So thanks, Diana, for the idea. And, and it sounded like a pretty neat memory. And so what's holding you back from finishing your V-Block <laughs> <laughs> don't have a a, a tap and die set big I, enough or something?
1: yeah I, I lost the drawing <laughs> i didn't i didn't didn't finish it um yeah so th- thanks to kurt for that yeah, yeah he, he'll always be a fond memory and i'm glad i asked you the question thanks for your your insight yeah, um, very welcome that was very very nuanced, a lot to think about. So, thank you, Fred. All right, well, you're welcome. Good talking to you, Diana. Talk to you again soon.
0: Bye. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation. If you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.